Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 314. And uh, it's Saturday. And I, I want to just say, I don't, I, I don't know that I'm not going to apologize for this week, but I do feel weird and bad. I had a bad week this week as a creator. Uh, I know that a lot of people out there that make their own content and want to make content are out there. And I, I, I had a week that I, I, I feel weird because I'm like, I can't have a week like last week, but it happened where I kept writing stuff. And I like, for example, I watched the Bears game and I, I thought Trubisky played kind of like, okay. And I didn't really want to make a topic about the Bears Lions game. Just like, I, I have no desire to shred Trubisky to pieces. He also didn't really deserve it. He played okay. And I'm like, I don't, there's nothing there. And I watched the Saints Falcons game and I don't really like Taysom Hill. I think he's pretty like there, there was a, a play where um, he had a guy wide open over the middle, for example, and he checks it down for no reason. It's like, dude, you got to hang in there. The, there's a guy wide open over the middle, or there's a couple times where Taysom Hill is checking the ball down too early. And I, I saw a lot of stories this weekend. I watched every game and I, there wasn't a lot of stuff that spoke to me. And I, I've really had a, I don't know if writer's block is the word, but I kept writing stuff and then throwing it away and scrapping it where I didn't feel good about it. And I felt like no matter what I was, no matter what topics I came up with, I'm like, I don't feel good about any of this stuff. And um, I feel like I wasted two days just writing and preparing and then literally scrapping everything going, this sucks. I don't like this. I don't, and I don't know. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I admit that. Um, but I also, I don't want to make crappy stuff and I don't ever want to make a podcast that I don't feel good about. And so I feel good about this episode. I'm sorry it's taken, you know, my heart of hearts is to make a daily show. I mean, I really, I'm one person by myself, but if I can ever do that, I want to do that. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I, I really had a weird week and I, I am sorry if you were out there going, where's the episode? Where's the episode? Where's the episode? Um, but I'll say it. I feel good about today's episode. I hope you're doing very well. Um, just had a hard week as a creator and I, I want to share that journey because I try to be honest and open and um, I feel good about next week. I got a lot of stuff. Um, but today we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, the Bills, the 49ers. We're going to talk about Washington, the Steelers, do some predictions. Uh, but I do want to start with this because last week I was kind of off the cuff riffing. Uh, I was doing a, it was a topic about the Giants and Seattle game, talking about how, man, Russell Wilson really has just kind of fallen off the wagon in the MVP race where Russell Wilson's not going to win the MVP this year. And Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, uh, they're six and six. Kyler Murray is not going to win the MVP. And I was kind of spitballing going like, man, I don't know who's going to win the MVP now. Is it going to be maybe Patrick Mahomes? And I was trying to think like, who is the person that could win MVP? And I don't know why this name didn't come to mind, but it, as I thought about it more, I realized, oh, there's an obvious answer. And it's a guy who's won MVP before. I think the guy who's going to win the NFL MVP this year is the Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. And look, man, currently he's got 36 touchdowns, four interceptions. Those numbers are just going to get farther apart. He's going to throw more touchdowns, probably. I don't think he's going to throw many more interceptions this year. And it's not just the numbers that are impressive about Aaron Rodgers. It's he's playing some of the best football in the NFL. I mean, if I look at all the best quarterbacks around the league, I look at like Patrick Mahomes has been really almost complacent and had some weird moments where I think he's kind of bored just waiting for the playoffs and Tom Brady's had some bad games. Russell Wilson's had some really ugly games. Phillip Rivers is Phillip Rivers. <laughs> and um, I mean, what quarterback stands out this year as having the best performance all year? 
it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's the guy who, of all the good quarterbacks in the NFL, he's playing the best and the most consistently playing the best. I mean, you'll see Deshaun Watson have a great game or Big Ben or Russell Wilson, but every, I feel like every single game, or every, every single time I talk about the Packers, I go, and Aaron Rodgers had another game, four touchdowns, this and that, and I mean, I... I kind of, one of my personal flaws, I get bored with success. I really, for example, the Browns are so interesting where I love to talk about Cleveland because it's been a mess for years and I've been waiting and waiting and hoping Cleveland would get better. And I, I think Baker Mayfield's really interesting where he'll have a bad game and a good game and I like the, the roller coaster and the drama. And I'll be honest, there's not really been any drama. There's not really been any roller coaster in Green Bay. It's just been Aaron Rodgers putting in work every single week, just having game after game after game. And uh, if you're trying to kind of predict who other people would choose to win the NFL MVP, I would say that guy's going to be Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's well-deserved. He's playing at a very high level. Um, you know, Devontae Adams has been hurt at times this year, and Aaron's done well without him even. Uh, Alan Lazard, Michael, uh, or sorry, Marcos Alvis-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown. These are guys who are, they're really not marquee receivers in the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers is still making them work and doing very well with them. I mean, go watch the... The Eagles-Packers game last week. Aaron Rodgers had just some ridiculous throws that are like, they're just eye-popping. Like, you're like, wow, off his back foot, or that's a dime into a really tiny location, just throw after throw. And so I also got to admit, it would be really cool to watch Aaron Rodgers win the NFL MVP in the same year that his team drafted a quarterback, Jordan Love, in the first round, hoping to maybe eventually replace him. It'd be like a good kind of sticking it to the organization. Oh, you want to get rid of me? Well, hey, I'm still here. I can still play. And I know I've been critical of Aaron Rodgers in the past. And I, I, I'm not shy of that. I, I would love to meet Aaron Rodgers someday uh, and say, look, I have this problem and that problem. It'd be a fun conversation. Um, but I, I try to always be extremely fair. And I try to recognize people when I'm wrong or I don't, I try not to be biased where if, even if I don't like something Aaron Rodgers does, or I've been critical of him in the past, if he's playing phenomenal, I'll acknowledge that. And Aaron Rodgers is playing phenomenal this year. I, I just think of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, you look around the league, he's been the most consistently great performing quarterback all year. Um, and I look at the Packers and go, man, they're so much better this year than they were last year, which is hard to believe. I mean, they were like 13 and three last year, but there were a couple moments where, I mean, the I remember the, the Chargers game uh, against Green Bay last year where the Packers got blown out and it was ugly. And I had a game similar to that this year, actually, against Tampa Bay. But I thought Tampa Bay just had maybe the best game they've played all year by a mile. And I look at the Packers this year. They're way more comfortable. Everybody looks more comfortable. Aaron Rodgers looks more comfortable. Uh, they're play calling. They're calling certain plays instead of other plays. They're like, we're going to motion here and make it look exactly like this other play. And they're using plays instead of other plays. And I just walk away very, very impressed. And, um, you know, at the center of the Packers phenomenal offense in Green Bay is the NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers and so I want to come out now it's what week 14 and say I already think he's going to win the award uh I think he deserves it he's playing very very well and uh, I'm happy to say that like I, I know that I've been critical of him but I I do recognize and respect people who are phenomenal and Aaron Rodgers uh is playing at a very very high level if he wins the NFL MVP this year I would not be surprised he's my favorite uh, to win the award and if he does win that award, it's very, very well-deserving, in my opinion. He's playing at a very high level, playing phenomenally. And uh, in my opinion, again, Aaron Rodgers is the favorite to win the NFL MVP.
You guys want to talk about the Buffalo Bills? I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills. Um, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, is playing so, so well. I mean, I really... It's interesting to look back at the 2018 NFL draft. That's the draft class of Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. And in my opinion, Josh Allen is the best quarterback from the 2018 NFL draft class. And I I did not believe I would be saying that uh, three years later. But that's exactly what we're seeing. And I know that's even more controversial because Lamar Jackson won the NFL MVP last year. You go, well... Josh Allen, where's Josh Allen's MVP award? I understand that. I think awards are great, and I think Lamar was amazing last year. But I'll tell you what, if I look at how Lamar is playing right now and how Josh Allen is playing right now, I would rather have Josh Allen. But it is also very close. I mean, clearly, I think the two best quarterbacks of the NFL draft from 2018 were Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And I think what's really more interesting is that somehow – Josh Rosen was drafted ahead of Lamar Jackson. Now, it helped Lamar Jackson to go to a good team where they had Joe Flacco. He could sit for a while, go to a good roster. Uh, I don't know how Lamar would have done on the Cardinals. I'm sure he would have done better than Josh Rosen did. So Josh Rosen was drafted by the Cardinals like 10th overall. And it's crazy that he was drafted, has done terrible and nothing in his career. And Lamar Jackson won the NFL MVP last year. So again, Josh Allen in Buffalo and Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, they're the two best quarterbacks from that draft class. But I would take Josh Allen in Buffalo over everybody else from that draft class. And there are three reasons why this has happened. I know it's confusing. There's a lot of Joshes I just said. I don't know why everyone names their kid Josh. I, I, I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere. I'm not going to say it. Um, there's three reasons, though, why Josh Allen has become the best quarterback in the from the 2018 draft class. Number one, it's just he's very, very talented. He's got a huge arm. He's very accurate. But along with that really natural talent, he's, he's massive. He can run people over. He can escape sacks where, I mean, it's fun to watch him play. Literally, he'll like, you see Russell Wilson avoid a sack by being evasive and quick and small. And Josh Allen just goes, now I'm going to throw you off me. You're not going to take me down. But along with the natural talent that Josh Allen has is a clear and obvious work ethic. His mechanics are better. He's gotten more accurate in the NFL. He's reading defenses better. I, I am so very impressed with Josh Allen. I watched the 49ers game uh, from, I guess, Monday night. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, he that's a good defense and good scheme. And he just lit them up. I mean, he was phenomenal. It, it's really, I walked away going, man, can you believe how well Josh Allen is playing this year? And so he's very talented. He works very, very hard. But the third reason why Josh Allen, I have to admit this, why he succeeded is because he was given a great situation. He's got a wonderful offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. Uh, he's developed him very, very well. He went to a good team. And then also part of it is that he went to a team that believed in him and supported him. And from day one on, uh, there was a belief that Josh Allen would become their franchise quarterback. And Buffalo has never wavered. I know that I think Tyrod Taylor started at first, but the whole time Buffalo knew this is our guy. And they've never wavered, even through struggles. He had some moments where... He wasn't great early on, and he had some struggles. And Buffalo was still like, no, this is our guy. We are ride or die for Josh Allen. And having that kind of support and that kind of belief and having an organization and a fan base have that much confidence in you certainly makes your job easier. I mean, you have to compare compare the situation of Josh Rosen, who was replaced after one year, with very similar numbers to Josh Allen in year one. Or watching Sam Darnold 
get the tar beat out of him every single week on the Jets. Um, you have to acknowledge that some of why Josh Allen has developed into what he is is because of the situation around him. But a large part of it, most of it is just his work ethic and his talent. Uh, but his work ethic is what I'm very, very impressed with. We've seen so much growth from Josh Allen this year. And I love it, man. I, I just go, man, I'm so very impressed. Now, the next kind of storyline coming up for the Bills is whether or not their offensive coordinator, uh, Brian Dable, is going to stay after this year. Uh, if I am Buffalo, I'm going to pay Brian Dable whatever he wants. Give him head coach money to keep him there. Pay him anything because he's developed your young quarterback. He's part of why your offense is great. And I think here's the key, though. It's not just that they developed. I mean, I'm sure that Josh Allen could get another coach and eventually do well. But here's what I would be concerned about. Buffalo has a very brief window right now where they are a very, very good football team. They're 9-3. and three, And even if Buffalo doesn't win a Super Bowl this year in 2020, their window's open for a little while where they've got a really good young group of core players. And, I mean, even after their window will close eventually, they'll still be very good because Josh Allen is going to be good for, it looks like, a long, long time. But right now, you have this foundation of core young players who are, are very talented, and I, I would be really anxious to capitalize on that, where, again, a Super Bowl window is open very briefly and will close very quickly. Look at the Cowboys a couple years ago. Their, their most opportune moment to win a Super Bowl was Dak Prescott's rookie year. The window was open, and bam, it closed. And I don't know that it's gonna, they're going to be able to open that window to win a Super Bowl again for a long, long time. And so if you're the Buffalo Bills, you have to recognize – you got an opportunity here to do something incredibly special. And Brian Dable is part of that, your offensive coordinator. Pay him whatever he wants. You want him there, keep him around, and keep this group of people together so they can go on a mission and win a Super Bowl. Uh, I can't stress it enough that Brian Dable is critical to the success of Buffalo. He might leave and take a head coaching job, and I think they'll recover. They'll be okay long term. But if I'm them, I'm saying I don't want to mess up his mojo at all. I want to keep it going. Let's keep this guy around. Uh, now, right now, I think the biggest problem in Buffalo is their run defense. I, I really think they need to probably add another linebacker to help to pair with Tremaine, Ed Tremaine Edmonds inside uh, to help them stop the run. I, I think that's, their defensive line is okay, but the linebacker position is really what I think they need to work on. There are a couple guys that Buffalo could draft. We'll see uh, Micah Parsons out of Penn State or Dylan Moses out of Alabama, maybe Jihad Woods out of Washington State or Chaz Surratt out of uh, UNC, or Patty Fisher out of Northwestern, a guy who I, I really like Patty Fisher. He's kind of a, I think, an under-the-radar guy, but a guy playing very, very well at Northwestern. And uh, I, I really feel like Buffalo is about a linebacker away from winning a Super Bowl. They, they give up way too many rushing yards. Uh, it's kind of their the flaw with their team. But if they can fix their run defense and keep playing the way they're, I mean, their offense is fine. Their offense figured it out. Uh, I like some of the guys in their secondary. I want the Buffalo to add another linebacker. If they can do that, maybe free agency or in the draft, if Buffalo can add another linebacker, I, I really think this is a team that could win a Super Bowl. And they're already very, very close. So can they keep Brian Dable there? Can they add someone to help their run defense? And uh, Josh Allen's just got to keep being Josh Allen. He's phenomenal. So I walk away. Buffalo, man, is in a really good spot right now. And Josh Allen is by far, ah, by far, I don't think he's way better than Lamar Jackson, but he's definitely better than Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. And Josh Allen is the best quarterback from the 2018 draft class. 
Uh, and that's, to me, pretty obvious and pretty clear. Let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. I got to start by saying one of my favorite players in the NFL, I, really two of them are on the San Francisco roster. Number one, I love their backup, Nick Mullins. Uh, he is, I, I, we say backup's kind of a fun word because he's been their starting quarterback recently for quite a while. Uh, Nick Mullins is my, maybe my, one of my favorite players because he's not very physically talented. He's got an average arm. He's never really going to be able to push the ball vertically very much. Uh, but he also doesn't really need to in this 49ers offense. Uh, he can throw the ball very well at the intermediate to short level. He makes good decisions. Uh, I know that 49ers fans will call me crazy and be angry when I say this. I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's more consistent. Uh, he's got problems and flaws for sure. But I think he's kind of the epitome of a perfect backup. And I would call Nick Mullins... And people will say, well, what about Carson Wentz or Tyrod Taylor? Now, they're probably starting quarterbacks, in my opinion. A guy who I, I would call Nick Mullins the best backup in the NFL because he's a guy that I would never make my starting quarterback. I would never build my franchise around Nick Mullins. But he can come in. He can win some games. He runs the offense very, very well. He makes very good decisions. He's limited. He's not good enough to ever make your franchise quarterback. Uh, and I think that San Francisco this year will be in the market for a new guy at that position. But it's critical you keep Nick Mullins around. If, for example, if if the 49ers drafted Zach Wilson out of BYU, then, hey, Zach Wilson can come in. And if he's not ready week one, you have Nick Mullins. He's a good backup and knows the system. Nick Mullins can play week one. And there's no pressure there. And then if Zach Wilson, two years from now, is their starting quarterback doing very well, he gets hurt, has an ankle injury, he's going to be out for three weeks. Guess what? You still got Nick Mullins. He can come in for three games, keep your season alive. And I, that's the epitome of a good backup. A good backup is a guy who can come off the bench, you trust him to make good decisions, he's not going to screw up massively, and he can win you a game or two in a three- or four-game stretch if your starting quarterback is out. That's exactly what you need from a backup. Nick Mullins is kind of the NFL's most perfect backup where he's never going to need big money. He's never going to be a threat to your starting quarterback. He's not talented enough, but he really can come in and win you a game or two in a brief stretch of games, and I think that Nick Mullins is the best backup quarterback in the entire NFL, and I love him for it. He knows his role. He does it very, very well. I also love Debo Samuel. He's a guy out of, I think he played at South Carolina for the Gamecocks. Uh, he doesn't have huge numbers. I know Debo Samuel is a guy around the NFL where I think fans don't really know him or respect him unless you're like a 49ers fan. You know him very well. But players around the NFL who have played against Debo Samuel, they know Debo Samuel. And they are very, very impressed with him. Again, doesn't have huge numbers, but he's very underrated. He's a receiver who runs the ball like a running back. I mean, I, he really does... He fights incredibly hard. He's got great effort, and he's an important piece of the 49ers offense. I, it's been unfortunate uh, where you know he had co there was COVID concerns this year, missed a couple of games because of that. Um, but I, I am telling you, man, that Debo Samuel is a workhorse who fights very hard, and is a guy who is a vital, important piece of this 49ers offense, and a guy that I would be so happy to have on my team. Now, it seems like the 49ers defensive coordinator, <clears throat> Robert Sala, is planning to leave the team after this year. The assumption is that he's going to go be a head coach somewhere. And uh, I want to repeat something I've said before. 
number one, I hope that the 49ers can recognize Robert Sala's value. He's a he's a good uh, scheme. He designs the scheme very well on defense. He's got great understanding and anticipation of what offenses are doing. He makes great play calls. And I am hoping that the 49ers pay Robert Sala to stay in San Francisco. I, I think that, you know, first of all, he's, he's again, vital. Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala, the offensive coordinator slash head coach and the defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, they're better together. They are a much better unit when they combine their forces and play together and coach together. And then I would, number two, I would warn Robert Sala. Man, I, I don't know that Robert Sala should be in any hurry to leave San Francisco. I mean, for example, when you play with, when you, when you coach with Kyle Shanahan, you're his defensive coordinator. You know that Kyle Shanahan is always going to have a quarterback who's competitive. It's never a problem. It's never a concern. This is the coach who Kyle Shanahan made Matt Schaub phenomenal. He, he had Matt Schaub throw for 5,000 yards in one season. Boom, that's ridiculous. That's the power of Kyle Shanahan. He made RG3 the rookie of the year. RG3 was never seen again after that. And he made Ryan an MVP. He made Nick Mullins win games. They beat a playoff team, the LA Rams, with Nick Mullins at quarterback because of Kyle Shanahan's play calling and his design and his ability to coach quarterbacks. If I am Robert Sala, I'm in no hurry to leave that guy. Because here's the problem. What if, let's say Robert Sala goes to the Jets. Now you need a coach who can coach quarterbacks and who can make your quarterback good. And whether you draft Trevor Lawrence or keep Sam Darnold, you might be a great defensive coordinator. I've seen a lot of brilliant defensive coaches fail because they couldn't figure out the quarterback position. I would hate to see that happen to Robert Sala. And then guess what? He can't even go back to his old job because they're going to replace him with somebody in San Francisco. I, I, I really hope that both sides recognize the value of each other. I hope that the 49ers recognize the value of Robert Sala. They give him a raise, pay him to stay. And I hope that Robert Sala can recognize, look, I'm, I'm worth couple more million like a couple million a year give me more money but my life is better off and I know San Francisco and California I don't think I would want to live there but I do know that what he's got in an organization the coach the quarterback great defensive players an incredible defensive line they it definitely helps to be the coach of the 49ers where they got good players and a good quarterback most of the time I, I really would not be in any hurry to leave the 49ers if I was Robert Sala and I would just issue him a warning. Robert Sala, I know you, he probably wants recognition. He probably wants his own thing. He probably wants to be a, run his own team. But if I'm him, I'm in no hurry to leave. And I'm, I would be very careful. Find the right situation. Maybe it's the Houston Texans. You go to the Houston Texans, you got Deshaun Watson. Hey, Robert Sala, take that job. I love that. But the Jets or the Lions... Or, I mean, uh, who else is available? I don't even know what jobs are available right now. I'm spitballing here. But I, I know that I would be very hesitant and careful if I was Robert Sala leaving the 49ers. I would only leave if I found the absolute right scenario. I wouldn't just go to chase your ego or chase more money or chase a coaching job. Because uh, you may only ever get one chance. I've seen head coaches, or I've seen coaches, I guess, in general, take a bad job that they probably shouldn't have because it wasn't the right scenario. They take that job and it's going well. And then I've seen high school coaches get their football program closed or I've seen college coaches get, you know, they, they had problems or the administration was bad or in the NFL, they couldn't get a quarterback. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can't control. So if you're Robert Sala, you're in a good position. 
don't leave a good position for a bad one. Only leave a good position for another good position. I would be very careful if I was Robert Sala considering leaving the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I want to talk about Washington. As I, as I look at the Washington football team this year, one thing stands out to me is that, you know, Alex Smith is absolutely kind of the perfect quarterback for their head coach, Ron Rivera. He's not very flashy, um, but he's safe and he's consistent and I trust him. And Ron Rivera, knowing how he, what kind of quarterback he would want, how Ron Rivera does quarterback math. He's a defensive minded coach. He wants to take care of the football. He wants a good veteran leader. I think Alex Smith is likely the guy in Washington for another year or two after this year where I just don't think Washington needs a quarterback yet. People are going to say, are they going to draft a guy? Are they going to get this? Uh, Alex Smith is great. He's kind of, he's playing very, very well. He's rallied the team. They like him. They respect him. He takes care of the ball. He allows our defense to play very, very well. And I think part of why, I mean, Washington right now is on a three-game winning streak. The reason why is because they don't make mistakes. They play very, very clean football. If you beat them, you got to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. And part of that is Alex Smith. He sets the tempo. He's the tone. He's the veteran leader. And if I look around the NFL and I go, hmm, what quarterback do I trust to not make decisions, to not make huge mistakes, right? If I, like, would I take Alex Smith or Jared Goff? I take Alex Smith. Would I take Alex Smith or Kirk Cousins? If I, if I need a guy, and, and I'm saying my one situation is I don't want the guy to make a big mistake or throw, make a big interception or this or that. The guy I trust to not screw up is Alex Smith over Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, uh, Carson Wentz. I mean, there's Phillip Rivers. I, I trust Alex Smith more than a lot of other quarterbacks around the league. And he's a very consistent, safe quarterback who I think is exactly what Ron Rivera is looking for, a guy who can control the game, be in charge, and again, not have nasty, really bad turnovers. And it's been really fun to watch Alex Smith as the year has gone on. When he first started playing, I think he, he played like he came off the bench in one game. And I, I think it was the Rams game. And I remember going, oh, Alex Smith does not look comfortable in the pocket at all. And I went, I don't know that he's ready for this. Where Alex Smith was darting around, looked very uncomfortable, didn't like bodies around him. And as the year has gone on, Alex Smith has gotten more and more and more comfortable playing in a messy pocket with bodies around his feet and his ankles. And I mean, last week he was bleeding because he got cleated. And I just think Alex Smith has really, as the year has gone on, gotten more and more comfortable playing at a very high level. I would be, first of all, surprised if the Washington football team decided to replace him. But also, I don't think it'd be the right move. I think Alex Smith is your guy now for the next two or three years in Washington. And that's okay. He's kind of exactly what you need. And someday down the road, you can get another quarterback who can sit behind Alex Smith and learn and grow. And maybe that guy is Dwayne Haskins. Right now, Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. He's talented. We saw that at Ohio State. We saw that a little bit at times uh, last year and this year. And either Dwayne Haskins can sit behind Alex Smith or someone else eventually can sit behind Alex Smith. But right now, Alex Smith is the best quarterback on that roster. He should be their guy moving forward for the next However, whoever knows how long, and it's kind of perfect for Washington. Ron Rivera got exactly the quarterback he could have could have hoped for, and I, I think that's awesome. Now, I want to give a shout-out to a couple other people in Washington. Uh, number one, we'll start with Logan Thomas, their tight end. 
<clears throat> Logan Thomas was a quarterback in college at Virginia Tech. He's really made the transition from quarterback to tight end very well. He's 29 years old, and he bought into that change. He, he's you know he's been in the NFL for a while now. It's this is his sixth team. He was been on the he was on the Cardinals, the Dolphins, the Giants, uh, the Detroit Lions. Not once, but twice. He was on the Bills, and now. We're seeing Logan Thomas in Washington, and he's really found a home there. Logan Thomas is playing very well. He's having a career year in every category where he's got 43 catches for 426 yards, five touchdowns. I give out an award every—I'm going to get—you know, I do the Strong Opinion Sports Awards, and I give out my own NFL awards. And one of the awards I think I might add this year is the, like, Newcomer of the Year or Breakout Player or— it's a guy who isn't a rookie, who isn't even necessarily a star, but who in their like second, third, fourth, just randomly out of nowhere, had a breakout year and became a great player. The guy who's probably going to win that award is J.C. Jackson, an undrafted player uh, for the Patriots, who is like second in the NFL in uh, interceptions right now. He's playing. It's, it's really kind of remarkable. This guy came out of nowhere and is having a great year. But another guy in the running would be a Logan Thomas, a guy who... I, I think he's having a breakout year, playing very well, and I love watching him. And so I just shout out to Logan Thomas. It's a cool story. Used to play quarterback, bought in at tight end, playing very well. And then another fun kind of storyline going on in Washington is they have a receiver named Cam Sims who had one of the best games of his entire NFL career against Pittsburgh uh, last week where really he was a backup quarterback at Alabama quarterback, no, sorry, backup receiver at Alabama, was in the rotation very minimally till his junior and senior year. Even his um, even his junior year, junior and senior year really didn't have a lot of receiving yards. I think he had like 400 combined receiving yards in two years. <clears throat> and on last week against Pittsburgh, he had five catches for 92 yards, had a huge one-handed catch. I just think it deserves a little bit of respect and kind of a shout-out where it's a testament to Ron Rivera how good he is uh, at getting the most out of his players. I look at Ron Rivera, I go, man, I'm so impressed with the job he's doing this year. He's a great coach. And again, the reason why Washington has a three-game winning streak right now is because they're not making mental mistakes. They're not beating themselves. They are forcing other teams to play better and beat them. And uh, I, they're not going to beat themselves. I love it. I love what's going on in Washington. It deserves a lot of respect. They're playing very, very well, and it's really cool to see. I love, again, shout-out to Ron Rivera, shout-out to Logan Thomas, Alex Smith. Uh, Ron Rivera had cancer. Alex Smith fought back from bad injury. Cam Sims, uh, Terry McLaurin, he's like a third-round pick. I mean, this team is full of people who have overcome and have turned themselves into what they are through hard work and grinding, and I just think it's very, very cool what's going on in Washington. It deserves a lot of respect, and uh, I've had a blast watching and following and covering Washington this year in 2020. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Pittsburgh. We'll talk about Coastal Carolina, actually. We'll talk about BYU. Uh, we'll talk about the Rams-Patriots game. Later, we'll do predictions. We'll do Ask Zach at the end of the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I, uh, I want to circle back to something I kind of talked about to open the show. I was just riffing and sharing my heart. Um, I don't really have the heart to 
make a video just tearing down Taysom Hill. He's a decent quarterback. Um, and I also, I'm going to keep giving him an opportunity. Like he, I, It's been three games to play the Falcons. Uh, twice he played another team, some team that was not very good either. And I, I, I'm blanking on that team right now. It doesn't really matter. I haven't been that impressed with Taysom Hill yet this year. Uh, but I'm going to keep giving him an opportunity. He's playing the Eagles this week. We'll see how he does there. I, I guess I want to see more before I... Like, the video I would put out about Taysom Hill is basically him saying, he's fine. He's not going to set the world on fire. I think he's more of a backup than a starter. I wouldn't build my franchise around him. But I... Maybe... I think what I'll do is a film analysis eventually. But right now, I don't... It feels mean-spirited, and I don't have the heart to make a video like that. I'd feel like I was just tearing into the guy. And I don't really want to do that. I don't really feel the desire to do that. So... Uh, just putting that out to the world. I, that's why I haven't covered Taysom Hill and how he played last week against Atlanta. Uh, I know he had two touchdowns. He finally had his first touchdown pass in the NFL. That's very cool. But I, I just go, like, ah, I, I can't. I'm hesitant to support him and to believe in him. And it's not like it's a pre- preconceived notion. It's how he's playing. I go, he's, he's fine. He's okay. I've learned my lessons about, you know, I think arm talent matters. And right now he reminds me a lot of Nick Mullins, who is – got the ability to run. He's Nick Mullins, but with the ability to run around. I mean, that's kind of, it's like, great, he's fine. He's decent. He's nothing terrible. I'm not in love with the guy either. Uh, Let's talk about, I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Recently, the problem in Pittsburgh with that team has been that they've been dropping passes. Just, it's been happening a ton recently. They dropped a bunch of passes against the Ravens two weeks ago. Part of why they lost to Washington was drop passes. Uh, I believe they, depending on, like, the the numbers on drop passes are, it's not really an official stat because some are controversial. Like, was that a drop? Was that a good play by the defense? It's kind of, it's a weird thing all over the place. But some people will say that, according to their statistics, Pittsburgh leads the NFL in drops. I kind of believe that. Uh, Supposedly, they have 31. We'll see. Now, they also recently lost to Washington. The Steelers are 11 and 1. And uh, everybody had a weird reaction to that game. I feel like most of the NFL world really celebrated. They were like, yes, I'm so glad Pittsburgh lost the game. And uh, you guys know me. I don't have a favorite team. I really don't care who is. I don't have a a horse, a dog in the fight. I don't good or bad. Like, I just try to call things like I see it. And people have been calling Pittsburgh, the word they've been using is, they say, the Steelers are frauds. You know, they're frauds. What does that mean? What, what do you mean the Steelers are frauds? They're a good football team. They're 11-1. and one. And I, it's just weird rhetoric. It's been a weird conversation. I get a lot of messages saying, they're overrated. They're not as good as they could be. They're this or that. And what does it mean to call Pittsburgh frauds? Does it mean they're going to lose in the playoffs? I mean, they're, they're going to go, what, 12-4, and 13-3, and three, and then they will they'll lose in the playoffs, and then people will say, see, we told you so, the Steelers are terrible. And I would say, well, I don't know how you look at Pittsburgh and not recognize their talent, not recognize uh, their, the success they've had this year. It's incredibly hard to win 11 games in a row in the NFL. It deserves respect. It deserves admiration. They got a ton of good weapons on offense. They've been dealing with drops, understandably. Uh, some of the names that come to mind, they got Ray Murray and McLeod returning punts. They have who, I mean, 
what was that broadcaster last week? You kept calling him Ray Ray McDonald for like the first quarter. It's kind of weird. Uh, they have Jesus Miss Schuster, James Washington, Chase Claypool, Eric Ebron, uh, two, James Connor. They have Benny Snell. They've got, an, I think, oh, they have Deontay Johnson. They've got a lot of uh, really impressive receivers, in my opinion, more, better than people realize. They've been dealing with drops fine, but they still have a good offensive line. They got a great defense, like a phenomenally good defense. Maybe, maybe the best defense in the NFL. They got a Hall of Fame coach and a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know how you don't look at Pittsburgh and go, that's impressive. Like, not just on paper. Uh, they've been doing some good stuff this year. Playing the, I, I watch their games and I go, I'm impressed. And people are, the, the criticism everybody has of Pittsburgh is to say that their margin of victory isn't very impressive. They've barely beat this team and this team and this team. And they lost to Washington. And I, I by the way, predicted the Washington loss because Washington is very well coached, and Washington is not going to make a mistake. You have to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. And I, I just saw that coming. I was like, yeah, I think Washington's better than people realize. They look at the record, and they go, well, a bad football team beat Pittsburgh. No, a good football team beat Pittsburgh because the team that has the 5-7 and seven record in Washington is not the same team they were at the beginning of the year. I mean, they are a better team today than they were week one. Washington's gotten way better as the year has gone on. And uh, I guess it's just weird to me. Like, so in the next couple games, let's say that the Steelers lose to Buffalo. They lose to the Colts. They lose to the Browns, right? Three good teams, uh, probably three playoff teams. Fine, right? They, they, so they lost to Washington and three good teams there. They'd be 12-4. and four. Let's say they go 13-3. and three. They beat Cleveland at the, at the end of the year. Is Pittsburgh a good team or a bad team? A good team has a 13-3 record. A good team is 11-1. I don't know how you look at what Pittsburgh has done. You look at their personnel. You look at how they're playing and go, well, they're a bad, they're, they're overrated. They're not, they're not really as good as the record shows. No, there's a reason the record's called a record. It's a record of how well they've done. They're exactly as good as the record shows. And I just think people love to hate on them. I don't know. I, I think people really are jealous of success or they like to hate on people who do well. I don't fully understand it. And I think Pittsburgh, I bet the city is probably pretty loud about their success, their fans on Twitter or something. Uh, I know that their players are very, they talk, they chirp a lot, right? But I, I mean, criticizing the margin of victory for Pittsburgh is a bit weird when Kansas City, who's also 11-1, and one, barely beat Denver last week. <laughs> How does anybody explain that? Or what about uh, the fact that it took overtime for Kansas City to beat Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers, who, by the way, the Chargers got beat by the Patriots 45-0. to zero. So my point is, NFL math doesn't make sense. You can't go, this team beat this team, so that... A win is a win in the NFL. It doesn't matter how you win as long as you win. And I, I just think it's kind of weird people are saying, oh, the Steelers are overrated. I think part of the, one of the impressive things about Pittsburgh this year is they've won in a multitude of different ways, whether it be with their defense or running the football or throwing the football or with their offense or with this or that. Their special teams are one. It's just really, they have talent at every facet of their team. And I I, I just don't really understand the, the hatred or, uh, hatred's one thing. It's the, the desire to tear down a team that's clearly a good football team and say, see, they're not very good. And people are like, I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't. I don't understand. I'm, I'm just. I'm. Gonna, I have nothing else to say here other than it makes no sense to me why people are so quick to 
jump on the hate train and attack the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I want to read a question from the audience. Remember, you can write into the show on Patreon. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Jack has a question about Pittsburgh. He says, do you think that the Steelers losing to the Washington football team is a blessing in disguise? Now the Steelers can focus more on winning a championship than going 16-0. I think that it will be good for the Steelers to relax in the regular season so they can make sure everyone is healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. When the Patriots try to go 16-0, I think that Bill Belichick used all his tricks in the regular season, which eventually gave the Giants a lot of film to use against them, and it backfired for the Patriots. The Steelers may have avoided that by losing. And so, Jack, I think that's a good, interesting direction to go here. Um, I, you know, one thing it's uh, you got to point out about Pittsburgh is that, and I don't know it's directly about Pittsburgh. Yes, so the Steelers, so the, the Patriots a couple years ago, they, they did everything they could to beat the Giants, and they beat the Giants in Week 17 last year, a couple years ago. Then they played that team again in the Super Bowl, and they lost because they'd already tipped their hand. And I don't think that going undefeated or having a great regular season is as important as winning a Super Bowl. I think Kansas City is kind of an autopilot mode right now. They're 11-1. and one. It's been an ugly 11-1. and one. There's a reason for that. Uh, you look at, I mean, remember when the, what was that? It was 72-9 and nine or something. The, 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 uh, the Golden State Warriors went 72-9, and nine, 72 and nine, I believe. Some, something crazy. That's some crazy record. Maybe 73 and 8. So they, they, the Warriors had an incredible year. Whatever, 82 minus 73 and 9? I don't really care. It doesn't matter. The Warriors had this great season in the regular season, and then as they got to the finals, they lost. And the Warriors realized we expended all this energy trying to have a great regular season, and we still lost the championship. So my, I guess my point is to say that teams in the NBA have figured out it doesn't matter the regular season. Do good enough to get the number one seed or do good enough to get here. But don't burn everything. Rest is important. It's okay to, your job is to win a championship, not to have a great regular season. And so it is possible that this does bring a sense of relief to Pittsburgh. Perfection can be distracting. And uh, I, I just, it's possible that losing to Washington 11-1 and rather than 12-0 and takes some of the pressure off and actually does help Pittsburgh. It's just an interesting thought by Jack. I like the question and uh, worth taking note of. Okay, um, and drink some water real quick first. I want to give a shout out to Coastal Carolina. Uh, they're undefeated. They play Troy today. Let me check the score of the Troy game. Uh, I, I watched the BYU Coastal Carolina game, and I just loved it, man. I, I loved the the teal turf. There were these shirts that the Mormons versus Mullets. I thought that was really fun. Uh, Coastal Carolina beat BYU, and uh, they're beating Troy right now, 21 to 16. Uh, 8:27 left in the third quarter. Closer than I would have thought. Coastal Carolina is uh, uh, just a fun program, a program that's hard to hate on. Uh, you know, their their mascot is a Chanticleer, which is a it's like a cunning rooster that wins with his brain. It's a smart rooster, basically, from some story, uh, some some like book, write a fi you know, fictional novel or something. Um, I, uh, I guess I also really like the, their, their triple option offense. It's kind of a, a hybrid, like a spread triple option offense. And I think actually when you play BYU with no preparation, by the way, the team with the triple option offense that runs the ball really well 
probably has the advantage that definitely helped them beat BYU. And uh, the whole game in general felt like a celebration of this fun Coastal Carolina program. I really liked them. I thought the this whole year for Coastal Carolina, they're undefeated. Uh, we'll see if they beat Troy. They're they're fun. They're exciting. They are they're 15 minutes from the beach. This whole year has been a great recruiting tool to say, hey, want to have fun at the beach? Want to win games? Want to wear black jerseys? Play on teal turf? Come play for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And I, I never thought I would ever say the word Chanticleer. I never heard of it before uh, watching that game. And I, I thought that, man, getting to have Coastal Carolina in the the national spotlight for a day. They played last weekend against BYU. That's awesome. That's fun. And I, I just want to give them a shout-out. I probably won't do a breakout for them. they got a freshman quarterback, uh, Grayson McCall, who I really like. Uh, he's more of a runner than a distributor. i got a question on Patreon about it. Um, I don't, I'm not going to read it. I, I think I deleted it by accident. Um, just being honest. Um, but I just shout-out to Coastal Carolina. They're a fun program. They're an inter- interesting program. I'm probably not going to make a breakout for this, but if you're listening to the podcast, I just, ha, what a fun little college program. I like them. I, I, I really was endeared to them, watching them play BYU. I like what they got going on down in uh, South Carolina. Now, <clears throat> I believe that BYU quarterback Zach Wilson is going to be the most successful quarterback from the 2021 NFL draft class. Uh, I mean, like so from that draft class, we're going to have Trevor Lawrence, we'll have Kyle Trask, we'll have uh, we'll have. Justin Fields, and I think as we watch Justin Fields go probably to the Jaguars number two, and we see Trevor Lawrence go to the Jets number one, it's going to be really easy to go, well, wow, what do you mean you're going to say the most successful? I'm not saying the best quarterback, and that's even that's debatable. But the reason why I believe Zach Wilson will be the most successful quarterback in the NFL overall from this 2021 NFL draft is because, number one, he's very talented. And I think in a normal year, Zach Wilson might even be the number one quarterback on the board. I mean, he's got Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence ahead of him who've been hyped forever, who people really love. And Zach Wilson's kind of laid onto the block. He plays for BYU, a smaller program. But a normal year without Trevor Lawrence and without Justin Fields, Zach Wilson likely would be the number one quarterback taken in the NFL. So he's talented enough to be the best quarterback in the draft, even if he's not. And then he loves football. Number two, I mean, I've heard from multiple people now that Zach Wilson's a football nerd who watches film and loves it. And what he loves to do is take, you know, watch Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady and pick apart their game and try to take the good parts of everything that he sees on film. He's a nerd. He loves football. He's passionate about the game. That's what I've heard from people. I believe that when I watch him play, and I, I really like what Zach Wilson's doing. He's talented. He works hard. He loves the game. And then number three, as Zach Wilson will fall down in the draft. I mean, we'll see if Kyle Trask gets drafted ahead of him. We'll see what happens there. I think that Zach Wilson should be the number three quarterback drafted in the NFL draft. If he can fall to a team like the San Francisco 49ers or the Patriots or who know, or somebody trades up for him. My point is that Zach Wilson's going to go to a better team than Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Justin Fields is going to go to the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence has got a hopeless career ahead of him, trying to turn the Jets around. I hope he does. I like Trevor Lawrence. But as he falls in the draft, he's going to be dropping to a better and better team. And then you have a mix of a very talented player who could have been the number one quarterback drafted, who loves football on a good team. 
all of that combined is going to make Zach Wilson most likely the most successful quarterback in the 2021 NFL draft. Very similar, actually, to Josh Allen. Josh Allen, remember him? He was not the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft in 2018. Sam Darnold was taken ahead of him. Baker Mayfield was taken ahead of him. But Josh Allen went to the Buffalo Bills, where he had good support around him, was very talented, got better. I I think that it's a similar situation here, where Zach Wilson's going to a good team that's going to want him, it's going to like him, it's going to have better players around him to support him. Oh yeah, by the way, Zach Wilson works really hard, loves football, and is very talented already. That's a recipe for success in the NFL, if you ask me. Now, last week, BYU lost to Coastal Carolina that plays San Diego State tonight. Uh, BYU is 9-1. And, and I got to say, I really respected that BYU made the Coastal Carolina game happen. They drove out late. They got their equipment there barely in time. Uh, they played a game basically on no notice. And I, I walked away going, you know what? Respect for taking the game. Uh, I think we learned a lot about BYU as a program in 2020 from that game. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I just got to say, it was gutsy to make the game happen. And it's also kind of weird. People have been criticizing Zach Wilson for having, you know, not his best game of the year against Coastal Carolina. Do you understand how hard it is to play a game with no preparation? It's like basically going to a high school football jamboree where you don't know the team. They're from like some other state you've never heard of. And you're like, for example, we would play when I played uh, high school football years ago, uh, we would go to the Oregon State football camp and our team would be playing teams from like Southern Oregon and Idaho and all like we've never heard of this random school in Idaho, but we're going to play them in the scrimmage with no film study and just go off what we know. And that's cover three. We're going to throw, you know, we'll take the flat against cover three, just doing what we do, but not necessarily having enough time to prepare a whole game plan for the game. That felt very similar watching Zach Wilson play against Coastal Carolina. They're doing the best they can. They probably cobbled together some kind of game plan late. And when you don't have preparation, it's hard to get ready for a game, obviously. Uh, I mean, even in the NFL, you have Thursday night football, but at least you know the game's coming up. If you look at your schedule, you play Sunday and then you play again on Thursday, but you have weeks of notice so people, a team of people that do film study can get you a game plan and get some stuff prepared and some notes prepared to hand to the quarterback come Monday after the game on Sunday. It's like, hey, here's your upcoming Thursday night game. Here's everything prepared for you, ready to go. Zach Wilson had none of that against Coastal Carolina. That hurts him for sure. Uh, Now, Coastal Carolina did expose BYU. And really what happened was this game was dominated up front by Coastal Carolina. People have moved on. The national headlines don't care about Coastal versus BYU. But I do because everyone's going to say BYU got screwed over. They should have had a better opportunity to get in the college football playoff, this and that. What we learned from the BYU-Coastal Carolina game is that BYU never should have been in the conversation for the college football playoff from the beginning. Uh, They got dominated up front by Coastal Carolina. Third and one, fourth down, third and three, whatever. Coastal was running all over BYU, dominating in the trenches. Oh, yeah, by the way, same on defense. BYU was giving up a ton of pressure inside. They had a hard time blocking for Zach Wilson against Coastal Carolina. And, uh, if you get dominated by Coastal Carolina on the offensive and defensive line, you have no chance competing against Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson or Florida. And so I I think the world should be very glad 
that we saw BYU lose to Coastal Carolina. And the fact that whether they won or not, we saw them play that game. And the game, whether BYU won or lost that game last Saturday, we saw what BYU is. Like, oh, they're not that great up front. They're not good enough to compete with a team like Alabama or whatever. We, we knew that. Like, if you're not a BYU fan, you already knew that. But BYU fans that were like, oh, our team is phenomenal. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. And I know you went to that school. <laughs> you, you pay them money every year because you donate to their, their – of course, you're going to be very biased in favor of your own former college. But the game against Coastal confirmed that BYU had no place in the college football playoff competitively. They, they might be they have a decent brand. They, their, their fan base loves them. But they are not a strong enough football team to compete with the best of the best in college football. And so I, I would say – Coastal Carolina, thank you very much for making it clear. They beat them, so that the argument was over before it even began. But even if BYU had beaten Coastal Carolina, I would have walked away saying, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, do you see how much BYU got dominated on third and one or how much pressure was on Zach Wilson? Yeah, watch them play Alabama. It would have been even worse. So thank you to Coastal Carolina for making it very, very clear uh, about BYU. The Rams beat the Patriots 24-3 on Thursday night football. Kind of a boring game, honestly. I, I watched the game. I was just like, is this ever going to get better? I'm bored. I'm not having a good time. I The Patriots are struggling. Uh, they're 6-7. and seven. I would not blame the Patriots' problems on Cam Newton. I remember this is a team with basically no offensive weapons, and uh, Tom Brady couldn't win with that roster, so... Cam Newton really didn't have a chance in New England from the beginning. Uh, number two, the Rams are 9-4. and four. The Rams are a team with, they've had two convincing wins in a row. They beat the Cardinals, now they beat the Patriots. Um, they run the ball very well. The Rams play great defense. And what I'm seeing from L.A. is that the Rams look hungry to get back where they were. Remember, they lost the Super Bowl two years ago to the Patriots, and... Uh, they had a year, kind of a, a, a survival year. Remember, every, every time you lose the Super Bowl, you have a year after where you've kind of that the year hangover, the Super Bowl hangover. Now, the Super Bowl hangover came and went. The Rams are here again. They're 9-4. and four. They got a great defense. Uh, when Jared Goff plays well, he's phenomenal. And, uh, and my, my problem with Jared Goff is he's not consistent enough. But I will say that my dream NFC championship right now in the NFL I want to see the the Packers play the Rams. I want to see Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay against Sean McVay and Jared Goff and that fun running game and the Rams. I really think Rams-Packers would be a lot of fun in the NFC Championship. And uh, probably the Saints will get there. Uh, I think no matter what happens, the team from the AFC is most likely to win the Super Bowl if it's not the Packers. It's probably the Packers or the AFC, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I really think that the Rams are, they've been playing very impressive football. They deserve respect. And uh, I want to see them get to the NFC championship game. I want to see Packers versus Rams to, for the title of the NFC to get into the Super Bowl. It'd be really, really fun. And uh, I walked away very impressed with the Rams on Thursday. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do some NFL predictions for week 14. We'll answer some Ask Zach questions. I... I'm very excited. I think that uh, this week, week 14, is going to be a phenomenal week of football. I, I think that uh, there's four games in particular where I go, oh, 
doggy. That's going to be fun, going to be interesting, and very exciting. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, NFL predictions are ahead. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I am so excited for this weekend. It's going to be phenomenal. NFL Week 14 is here, and uh, we got some good football ahead this weekend. It's going to be great. Uh, I want to do some predictions. I want to start with what I would believe are the four best games of this upcoming weekend. Number one, I believe the Steelers-Bills game might be the very best game we'll see all weekend. Two playoff teams. Uh, I really like Buffalo here. It's a home game for them at Orchard Park. But I'm picking the Steelers to win. Uh, The Bills' weakness is their run defense. And that makes me concerned for this game. But there are a couple of fun things to watch here. Number one, you have Big Ben against Josh Allen, who I think I think their playing style is very, very similar. I have said before that I think that um, Josh Allen is kind of a younger version of Big Ben. I mean, the way they the way they avoid sacks, they throw people off of them. They're these big, hulking players. They got incredibly strong arms. And uh, as time has gone on, Big Ben got more accurate and got uh, more precise. And so has Josh Allen in his NFL career. And so I think the other thing to watch really is that does Pittsburgh catch the ball? I mean, how does Pittsburgh handle the cold? I think it's supposed to be like 48 degrees, not a terrible weather day. And Pittsburgh has been really struggling with drop passes recently. They had a bunch of drops against Baltimore, a bunch of drops against Washington. And they're not going to be able to survive drops against Buffalo this weekend. They have to catch the ball if they want to win. And they have a lot of drop passes that could cost them the game against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Game number two, Monday night football, the Browns and the Ravens. Uh, I am hoping that this will be a great game. It should be. Anytime the Browns and Ravens play, uh, I guess really, that's not true, but anytime you have a divisional game with teams that know each other very well, I would hope it's interesting, and I'm I'm really praying. I mean, these are two quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayville, that were drafted in the 2018 NFL draft. And uh, really... I mean, I've been I've been really ranting and raving about how good the Browns have been this year recently. This is a prove-it game for them. If they are really as good as their record shows, they're what they're eight and three, they're doing very well, because they're nine and three, they're doing very, very well. The Browns have to show progress and do very, very well against Baltimore this weekend, and they have to win this game. Uh, these are two very similar teams. They both run the ball very well. What I think is interesting about the Ravens is that when you watch them, They're in the shotgun a lot. Watch how they use play action from the shotgun. I think they're the best team using hard play action fakes to sell the run and get people open downfield. The way that the Ravens use play action from the shotgun is, I think, better than any other team in the NFL. should be fun to watch, Uh, and I I really am excited for this Browns-Ravens game. I hope it's good. I hope it's competitive and interesting. And uh, even I'm picking the Browns to win. They should win this game. But again, all I really want is a fun, interesting, competitive game that comes down to the final moments. That'll make me very, very happy. Number three, uh, Washington against the 49ers. This is Alex Smith against his old team, the 49ers. Feels like a good matchup. You have the beat-up 49ers team uh, against a a rising Washington team who's very well-coached. Uh, again, these are two well-coached football teams. Washington is very, very disciplined. Uh, they're on a three-game winning streak. And Washington will not beat themselves. They will force you to beat them. They're not going to make mistakes that's going to cost them the game. And I I simply believe and hope that this will be a very close and interesting game. Uh, I Really, my prediction here is that it's going to be close. 
fun and interesting to watch. If it's not a close game, then I will be wrong about this prediction. All I'm predicting here is it'll be close, fun, and interesting. Number four, um, Colts and Raiders. I'm picking the Colts to beat Vegas this weekend. Should be a good one. Uh, if the Raiders want to win, they have to force the Colts quarterback, Phillip Rivers, into making a key mistake or two, a pick six or a bad interception. Uh, my fear, though, is that the Raiders are going to struggle to run the ball. This Colts defense is really, really good up front. They got DeForest Buckner back in their lineup. Their front seven is awesome. And so this will be a gritty, tough, hard-fought game. Two teams that run the ball. They love to run the ball. They run the ball very well. And it could go either way. Uh, maybe the player to watch is Henry Ruggs, the rookie receiver uh, with the Raiders. Can he make a gigantic play? That I mean, he had the game-winning touchdown last weekend against the Jets. Can he do another play like that where he's so quick and so fast, and they run him vertical all the time? I'm curious if Henry Ruggs can make a big play in this game. But I'm picking the Colts to win. They're also they're way more consistent. The Colts have been way more consistent than the Raiders, who've been very up and down this year. I'm picking the Colts to beat the Raiders. Jets at Seattle. I, I'll be honest, I don't have the guts to be, pick the Jets to beat the Seahawks in this game. Uh, but man, if any team was ever going to blow a game to the Jets, it would be Seattle. They would do it. And uh, the Seahawks should win this game. They're the better team. Of course, I'm going to pick them to win. But the Jets are getting better. Uh, they almost beat the Raiders last week. And I watched that game. And it wasn't like the Raiders were terrible. I mean, I really thought that the Jets were just competing and fighting hard and they had over 200 yards rushing against uh, Vegas last week. And so I don't really trust Seattle. The Jets are trending up, surprisingly, shockingly. Now, the, the best storyline here really is that uh, Seattle's safety, Jamal Adams, is playing his old team, the Jets. And I would love to see Jamal Adams have a monster day. Two sacks, a fumble recovery, an interception, something like that. I want to watch Jamal Adams go off and have a really big game against the Jets this weekend show. Hey, uh, remember when you didn't want me? You traded me away? That was a mistake, and so I want to see Jamal Adams have a great day. I'm picking the Seahawks, but, man, it does feel like if any team is going to blow a game to the Jets, it would be this very uneven, very inconsistent Seattle team. Texans-Bears. I'm picking the Texans to win. Uh, the Bears were solid last week. Trubisky was fine. Uh, but I want to remind you guys about the... 2017 NFL Draft. This is a, a situation where Chicago drafted North Carolina quarterback Mitchell Trubisky instead of Clemson quarterback Deshaun Watson. And I believe in this game, Deshaun Watson, now the Texans quarterback, is going to show Chicago why that was a very, very bad decision a couple of years ago in the NFL Draft. You should have taken Deshaun Watson, and I think Deshaun Watson is going to show that on Sunday. Cowboys-Bengals. Both teams are terrible. Uh, I think the Cowboys have more talent than Cincinnati. I don't really want... I'll, I'll watch this game at some point. I watch every game every week, but I, I don't want to watch this game. Um, <laughs> but I will say it's Andy Dalton against his old team. That'll be fun. It'll be interesting. And so I'm picking the Cowboys to win against Andy Dalton's old team. That should be a fun, interesting storyline. Uh, Cowboys should win on Sunday. Cardinals-Giants. Um, it's a tough one. The Giants, they've improved every week this season. I mean, the Giants are getting better and better and better. And uh, it's tough. The Giants have won four games straight. So I, I'm having a hard time betting against the New York Giants this week. I really, I like them. I like Joe Judge. 
I'll even admit, I am rooting for the Giants in this game. And even though the Giants are playing at home, I'm picking the Cardinals to win this game. I can't, I, I can't bring myself. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals have, they're getting Larry Fitzgerald back, a key receiver who's a veteran presence. They're getting, uh, they have Kyler Murray, a great quarterback. I can't pick the Cardinals to lose this game. I, I just feel like I, 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 I think the Cardinals are better. But I, I am torn up. I'm very, very conflicted. I'm rooting for the Giants. I would be very happy to see the Giants beat the Cardinals on Sunday. Uh, picking the Cardinals to win, but I feel really conflicted and torn up about it. It's a cold game. It's in New York. Home game for the Giants. Ah, I'm picking the Cardinals. I'm not very confident about the car. The Cardinals should win. They're a better team, uh, but we'll see if they do that on Sunday. Vikings-Bengals. Uh, Bengals. Vikings-Buccaneers, excuse me. Vikings-Buccaneers. This is a must-win game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're 7-5. and five. And uh, they need to win to stay in the playoff hunt. Now, the Vikings are very well coached on defense. Mike Zimmer, their head coach, is a defensive mind that I love. And I would hate to play against Mike Zimmer. Terrifying. He's really smart. Uh, He disguises coverages. He runs good blitzes. He calls whatever he wants. Whatever coverage he feels like is going to work on that scenario. They run a lot of different stuff in Minnesota. This will be a very good game. It it will be. It's going to happen uh, and it could be a really close, tough game for the Buccaneers where I, I think that Tom Brady could have a hard time against this Vikings defense, un- unfortunately. Um, I, I'm picking the Buccaneers to win an ugly game, but I'm picking the Buccaneers because of their defense playing Kirk Cousins, who I will say Kirk has played very well. I would not be shocked if Minnesota won this game. I think the Buccaneers have to win. I'm picking the Buccaneers to win this game, but... And I think Tampa wins because of their defense. Their defense can make some plays. And I think Kirk's streak of not having an interception in a while might end on Sunday. Um, I mean, Kirk Cousins, though, has played very well recently. And I think Tampa wins again because of their defense, but not because of Tom Brady. I'm torn. I think it'll be close and interesting, but I'm picking the Buccaneers to beat the Vikings on Sunday. Broncos, Panthers. Uh, both teams are 4-8. and eight. Point blank, I believe the Panthers are just a better team, despite the record being the same. Uh, both teams are banged up. I don't want to ask, really ask yourself this. In a close game, which quarterback do you trust to win at the end? Drew Locke, who's got you know more interceptions than touchdowns, or Teddy Bridgewater? I trust Teddy Bridgewater. I think the Panthers are going to win this game. I think it's interesting, though. Uh, the Broncos have been getting steadily more coherent every week, and I I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to watch this one because I want to see how Denver does. They just had a really close game. They almost beat Kansas City last week. They are trending upward, and I think that Carolina's been solid all year. So it should be an interesting test for the Broncos. I want to see how Drew Locke plays, and uh, I'm picking the Panthers to win. Should be interesting. I'm definitely going to watch it, and uh, I want to see what happens. Titans-Jaguars. I'm picking the Titans to win. They should win. Derrick Henry, their running back, should have a big day. And if Tennessee wins this game, they're going to be 9-4. and four. That's a big deal. It's impressive. Uh, now, the bad news is that Tennessee cannot generate much of a pass rush at all. Uh, their pass rush has been really ineffective. Uh, then Jadavion Clowney, their defensive end, the guy they signed, hoping it would have a big impact. He got hurt, and uh, that makes me even more nervous. And so we'll see here how... The Jaguars quarterback, Mike Glennon, does 
I think he could have a good day. I think the Jaguars still are going to win, but we'll see what happens. I think, uh, sorry, excuse me. I think the Titans are still going to win, but we'll see if the Jaguars can challenge the Titans and make it interesting uh, either way. Now, um, Packers-Lions. I would be shocked if the Lions beat the Packers this weekend. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is playing like the NFL MVP. I believe he's going to keep things rolling. I think the Packers beat Detroit in Detroit on Sunday. Falcons-Chargers. Uh, is it bad that I don't care about this game? I uh, The Falcons are 4-8. and eight. The LA Chargers are 3-9. and nine. Uh, I like Justin Herbert, so I'll pick the Chargers to win the game, I guess. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird one for me. It's, it's a rare that I look at a game and just... I don't care at all. And I, I looked at this game, like even the, the Cowboys Bengals game, I went, Oh, I'm excited to watch how Andy Dalton does against his old team. This game just, I didn't have anything emotionally. I didn't feel anything. I go, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I'm not interested. I, I, it's very interesting to me. I just, I don't know. I think that we'll see how Raheem Morris does. He's, he's done fairly interestingly well as the Falcons interim head coach. I don't know that it's done. He's done well enough to keep his job when the year is over, but we'll find out. Uh, I know that if, if Raheem Morris wants to keep his job as the head coach of the Falcons, he's going to have to win this game. Uh, the Chargers just got crushed by the Patriots 45 to nothing last week. Uh, they need to respond with a positive performance this week. And so we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm, ah, I don't, I'm sure that fans of the Falcons and Chargers are interested. I think otherwise people are going, I don't really want to watch a game. I don't really care about that game. We'll see how Justin Herbert does. I hope Justin does very, very well. Uh, Chiefs and Dolphins. I'm picking Kansas City. Uh, Patrick Mahomes against the Miami defense is going to be really fun, really interesting. Miami's got some good corners, and they're doing some good stuff. Uh, and I like Tua. I think Tua is, uh, he's been throwing a lot of timing routes. He's been throwing a lot of quick game. He's been very fine. He's kind of a distributor. He's been very, uh, look, I'll be honest, comparing Justin Herbert to Tua, Tua's been underwhelming. If you compare those two, I mean, Justin has been way more capable. He's done more physically. Um, and I don't believe that Miami's offense, I, I know I'm bouncing around. I just, Tua has been like very fine. And I, I don't know that Miami's offense can compete with Kansas City. And so Casey's going to win like 28 to 17 or 28 to what's a touchdown and three field goals. Uh, I, I don't think Kansas City loses this game. Even if their defense does well, I don't. I don't know. We'll see. I, I just. I don't. I don't have a lot of faith in Miami in this game, but I think they'll fight hard and make it interesting. Saints and Eagles. Um, I'm picking New Orleans to win this game, but it should be fun for a couple reasons. Uh, it's Jalen Hurts' first ever start in the NFL. That'll be awesome. And then uh, it's Jalen Hurts against Taysom Hill, two interesting quarterbacks. So. I personally cannot wait to get my hands on film from this game. Uh, I've been waiting for Taysom Hill to impress me, kind of waiting and waiting, and Taysom Hill hasn't really grabbed my attention or impressed me. He's been very decent, uh, no more, no less. He's been very quick, I think, to check down, quicker than I think he should have been. There's been a couple times where he's had guys open downfield and has checked it down instead of pulling the trigger. That's kind of weird for me. Uh, I think he's really kind of more like, He's more of a backup. He's Nick Mullins with the ability to run more than Taysom Hill as a franchise quarterback. I'm not that impressed, but hey, we'll see. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for Taysom Hill to impress me, and he might do it this week. Uh, certainly, the Saints should win this game. The Eagles are not very good. 
Um, and, and then Jalen Hurts, I can't wait to see how he does because Jalen Hurts really just needs to make good decisions and not have any crippling mistakes. I mean, New Orleans is a better team and should win, but can Jalen Hurts be smart with a football? Even if he's losing, I don't care if you're losing the game, make good decisions. The downfall of Carson Wentz was that he tried to play hero ball and he made things worse by making mistakes. Can Jalen Hurts avoid that? If things are going poorly, they're losing. Just, hey, make the right decision with the ball. Take care of the ball. Do the right thing. Don't try to make some crazy play that isn't there. Throw the ball away when it's time to throw the ball away. You know, check it down when you need to. Beat the blitz with the—do the little things right. I want to see if Jalen Hurts can do the little things right and simply run the Eagles' offense better than Carson Wentz has all year. And so I'm picking New Orleans to win, but I really personally cannot wait to watch Jalen Hurts play in NFL Week 14. All right, guys, um, before we go, let's do some Ask Zach questions, questions from the audience. It's my favorite part of the show. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month, literally. A dollar a month, uh, you can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question on Patreon, I do not guarantee to answer it on the show, but I do guarantee to look at every single question and message and everything I get with my eyeballs. And um, I pick the top couple. I try to read them at the end of every show. And again, a dollar a month, that's $12 a year. If you can support me on Patreon, it'd mean a big deal to me. It would really help the show. And uh, the first question today is from Jeremy. Jeremy says, hey, Zach, hope you're doing well in this crazy year. I am now more than ever reminded of the relief and happiness sports can bring in the midst of all the weird stuff going on. In particular, I had a moment of realization of that while watching the highlights of the Cardinals' last game. I got just irrationally happy whenever Larry Fitzgerald caught the ball. Not even a Cards fan, but seeing this legend still kicking it just lit me up like crazy. So my question is, are there any particular moments or details in this game that give you this immediate sensation of joy when they happen during a game. Keep it up, man. Germany from Jeremy. I think he means Jeremy from Germany. Um, so are there any moments from football that just give me great joy? Uh, first of all, I guess I got to say, like, it's been a weird, hard year. I remember when there was no sports for a little while, uh, I was devastated. Uh, I mean, first of all, financially, I needed I need sports to happen. It's my job to cover them. Um also, it's my sense of escape and my way to get away from the problems of the world. And so when that when there are no sports, I have a really hard time. Uh, my Probably my favorite thing in football, I love when young quarterbacks do well. Like, I watching Justin Herbert do well has been awesome. Watching Jalen Hurts do well, I, I hope, is going to be really fun this weekend. Uh, but even just young guys in general, watching people who, I mean, you you got to understand, sports are... A dream for so many people. So my, my favorite moments in any sports are, for example, Sergio Perez won an F1 Grand Prix uh, last weekend, the Secure Grand Prix. He's the first Mexican to win an F1 race in like 50 years. And Sergio Perez grew up his whole life racing and hoping and dreaming of winning an F1 race. And he did on Sunday. And he raced for a long time for a team called Team Force India, who was not very good. And he never left that team. And that team got better and better around him. And he won a race in his last ever season with this team. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, when I thought about it that way, it made me want to cry. And so 
when I look at guys like Cam Sims had a great week against the Steelers for the Washington football team this past week. He had five catches for 92 yards. That is so cool. Like, he, he realized his dream. He did very well. And when I see guys succeed in the NFL who are maybe not big-name guys, Logan Thomas, the tight end for Washington, or really a guy who's become a star, J.C. Jackson, an undrafted player who's done very, very well uh, with the Patriots this year. Like one of the top, one of the top leaders in interceptions this year in the NFL. Or Deontay Johnson, who's worked really hard and kind of broken onto the scene this year for Pittsburgh. I like watching young guys break onto the scene. It's probably my favorite, like storyline-wise, it's one of my favorite, most compelling things to cover is just like, when you watch a guy who's been in the NFL for a year or two and finally pops, ah, oh, that's awesome. Makes me so, so happy. Uh, Daniel writes in. Let's see if I can pull it up. Daniel says, hey, Zach, love the show. Do you still feel like giving up on Daniel Jones? Yeah, I I, I, I want to clarify, though. I, I think people are misunderstanding. When I say I'm giving up on Daniel Jones, here's what that means. I don't believe in him. I, I don't think he's the answer long-term. I think he's too physically limited. I think his awareness in the pocket's a gigantic problem. He's got too many turnovers. So when you ask me, hey, pick a side. Do you think Daniel Jones is going to work or not? I'd say no, I don't think it is. Doesn't mean I hate the guy. Doesn't mean I don't want to see Daniel Jones do well. I, would, I, I want Daniel Jones to prove me wrong. That topic is a prediction. Me saying I don't, like I actually don't gain anything from saying Daniel Jones is going to succeed because if I am right, two, like if two years from now Daniel Jones fails and I, I prove to be right, no one's ever going to come back and go, hey, great job, Zach. You, you really, you were totally right about Daniel Jones. So honestly, all that prediction does is get me hate and anger for two years while people are furiously mad at me. So I don't, I don't believe Daniel Jones is the answer long term, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I like Daniel Jones, nothing against him. I, it'd be certainly very convenient for the Giants if he was the right guy and time will tell. Kylo writes in, says, Arch Manning this time, maybe? <laughs> so this guy's been writing in about Arch Manning, the, the nephew of Peyton Manning, the son of Cooper Manning, the older brother for a long time. Uh, he plays high school, the old high school, uh, Newman High School, I believe, in Louisiana, where uh, Peyton and Eli and Cooper all played. <sighs> Here's why I haven't covered Arch Manning at all and, and continue, will, will continue to not cover Arch Manning. He's 16 years old. Like, he's a kid. He's in high school. Uh, when Arch Manning gets to college football and breaks onto the national scene, yeah, I'll cover him. It'll be interesting. It'll be fun. But he's a kid. I'm not going to cover kids. That's kind of weird, and I'm, I'm good. I, I want to let kids be kids, and uh, when he gets to college, then we can talk about Arch Manning. Until then, uh, I keep getting – like, it's not just Kylo. It's like literally so many people keep asking me, talk about Arch Manning, talk about Arch Manning, talk about Arch Manning. I'm like, I, I just – yeah, he's the nephew of Peyton Manning. He looks fine, uh, and we'll see how he does in, the, in, in college football. Until then, I'm not going to talk about him. Tristan writes in, and that'll, that'll be it. That's all I'm ever going to say about Arch Manning. Like, literally, until, until more news happens and it's more noteworthy, that's all you're ever going to get. Uh, Tristan says, he's got a lot to say. Uh, first of all, he writes a very heartfelt message. I'm going to read it on the show. He says, Zach, just have to tell you how much your show has meant to me this year. Your passion, intelligence, humility, sense of humor, and your openness with your audience has been such a breath of fresh air. I truly do love the podcast and appreciate you greatly. Thank you. Tristan, thank you so much. He continues by saying, 
You also make me feel a whole hell of a lot smarter when it comes to the game of football, NFL specifically. I feel like I've made some great strides in terms of analyzing the game because of your podcast, and that has been very rewarding for me personally. Cannot thank you enough, man. Tristan, I'm so glad you, you wrote in. I'm glad you're here. I, I appreciate you listening to the show. Here's question, uh, tri- Christians. Here's Tristan's question for the show. He says, I am very curious to know your thoughts on my question. How do you feel about movie studios planning to release films digitally, shifting further away from theatrical releases? How do you feel about digital versus seeing the film on the big screen? I am personally a big screen purist, so I'm nervous that COVID has sent the theater business into a irreversible tailspin. Uh, look, it has, really. I mean, I the state of movie theaters is really sad and disappointing right now. Uh, I I went and saw Tenet. The last movie I saw in theaters was Tenet, the uh, Christopher Nolan film. It's phenomenal, and I... And we sat social distance apart when the movie's over. People came and cleaned the seats. I don't know why we can't do that. I don't know why theaters need to be closed. Can you just do it with social distancing and with uh, spraying them down afterward? It seems like that's a viable solution. Um, But I I will say, so there is some magic to watching a movie on the big screen. It's it's amazing. Uh, And I I, I see every movie I can that way. I mean, I know it's weird. I just, I see almost every movie that comes out in theaters because I just, I love, I love, I love movies. I watch even bad movies in theaters because I don't care. I just love, I love movies and I love movie theaters. So I'm I'm one of those nerds too. However, um, I got to be honest. I, I love watching stuff at home. I mean, I, I love being home and maybe what I'll do is get a giant projector and then I can watch movies on a, projected wall so I can get the big screen effect. Um, but I I don't really have any desire to go out. I don't have any desire. Like, I'm a huge introvert anyway. And then COVID's made it like, oh, you have an excuse to never leave your house? I'm like, I'm never leaving. I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm never, ever going anywhere else. And then I, I watched a, a concert this week. Um, my favorite artist is named John Bellion. John Bellion's my favorite musician of all time ever. No one came close. He's amazing. Uh, he did a concert, and I, I felt good giving him my money because I knew it would be quality, and I like him, and he's giving the money to the people he's performing with so they can keep, take care of their families during COVID. And uh, I I loved it, man. I, I think it's actually the coolest concert I've ever been because it was, it was real. It was honest. It was live. He was taking audience requests. He was having a great old time just jamming out. Um and it was really intimate. I mean, it was really, it was, I, I've been to John Belling concerts. They're always my favorite concert ever. I sat really close one time and could almost touch him. And he's really great on stage. He's really just himself. He has a good time. He talks to you in between sets. And I, I got that experience on my computer watching the, the live stream concert, but it's even better than before because it was even more close, even more intimate, even more fun. Uh, I think it's actually the best concert quote I've ever been to. And it made me go, I want to go to every concert this way. And so the minute movies start coming out day and date digital, I'm going to watch every movie at home. I, I will. I, I, when theaters are open again, I'm sure like I, I'd love to see a quiet place Two in theaters, but if a quiet place Two comes out digital, I'm just going to watch it at home happily. Like I'll, I'll pay 30 bucks because it's still cheaper than going to a movie theater. That's good for me. So I, I don't know, man, I, there's something about watching stuff at your house with your drinks and your <laughs> drugs and your uh, food and just hanging out doing it that way. There's something really special and amazing about that. So I am torn 
but I I very much lean. I'm cool doing it at home forever. I I and charge me a lot of money. Like charge me more than you would at a theater because I can invite all my friends and family. I won't because I but I could if I wanted to, but I won't ever charge bring my friends and family over here because I. I like my house. I'm a homebody. I'm an introvert. Me and my girlfriend are both very quiet, nerdy people who are very happy just being left alone and doing our thing. And so, uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be happy if I never had to leave my house for a concert or movie ever again. I'm sure I will. I mean, there's something about. I mean, there is that ir- irreplaceable experience of being. I went to a Khalid concert one time on the floor, and it's just the music's so loud and the crowds there and. I mean, I, I just hate the people part. If I could have the loud music in Khalid live, it'd be awesome. But I don't need all these other people around me dancing. Or movie theaters. When I watch at home, I can pause it. I don't need to worry about kids crying. I don't need to worry about missing anything, going to the bathroom. I don't need to worry about annoying people around me talking or opening their stupid candy or whatever. Um, my problem with that stuff is I, I don't like people. <laughs> so um, I'm ranting now. I love you guys so much. I appreciate you. Um, F1 tomorrow. I'm going to do what's on tonight. The The Miami game was today. I'll watch that. Uh, I'm excited for this next coming week uh, with Strong Opinion Sports. I uh, love you guys. Hope I appreciate you. Talk to you soon. But I'm from Bam. We are done.